This is Jacob Smith from the Same Old Song Podcast. And this is Amber Noel from the Living Church Podcast. And Amber, why are we here together? Why are we here, Jacob? You're joining me from far away in New York City, and we're here together to invite all of you, November 16th to 18th, to a Living Church preaching conference in the heart of Manhattan. Hosted by the Parish of Calvary St. George's and Friends, this is going to be a wonderful conference for you to hear from some of the best homilists in the craft give you an opportunity to get your head around preaching in Advent and preaching in Lent and uh, really encourage you as preachers. And the best way to register is to just click the link in the show notes today. Absolutely. So register early because this is going to be an exciting time. We'll see you there in New York City. That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Jake, here I am dressed in a clerical collar, looking very professional, ready to go to do the Lord's work. And you're in a Knicks hat. I mean, what's going on there in Manhattan? I'm on I'm on vacation, but I'm not in a clerical collar because um you know I don't need it as my identity, and so uh, people <laughs> it makes me more relatable, and I'm a, I'm a I'm a priest of the people. So as they I say. like to just have a little uh, intimidation factor. <laughs> That's why I wear wear the collar. I had to go to Home Depot this morning to return a chainsaw, and I just always think I and I was already in my clericals. I was like, I wonder what they think about this. You know, if there, I wish sometimes <laughs> I could see thought bubbles over people's head, like. Because they're acting very professional. We're just exchanging yeah. a chainsaw. No big deal. But here I am, clearly a man of the cloth. But where are the bodies, whole, Aaron? Where are the bodies? <laughs> there are a whole <laughs> bunch of people. You know, I'm in line at customer service. There's like there's a bunch of dudes that show up at Home Depot on a on a Wednesday morning. I know. Uh, right after they're the wearing Fourth of denim July. shorts mm. and like sort of uh, you know work shoes. And they they're, often these men have like. I'm not or talking about like contractors. Shorts? I'm talking about like retired dudes, like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of young yeah. grandfather age and cargo shorts, denim shorts, always with the belt. And there's usually like a, like things attached to the belt. Yeah. These are, these are people that favor, you know, holsters for one's cell phone and like usually a, a multi-tool as well. Mm. Like you guys just, you're just doing home improvements all the time. So anyways, <laughs> I wonder like, what are they thinking? There's a guy here and I remember somebody bought uh, me a multi-tool once for Christmas and um, yeah. And <laughs> that's it, man. I'm, what's I'm, the end of the story? <laughs> like, nothing. And it's just, still in the box. And it is, uh, yeah, in, in my tool bag. So, uh, you know. As Jacob that, uh, says about clergy work and whether clergy should be doing any work around the, around the church and sort of like fixing things or whatever. That's right. I always love this phrase that you say chalices not calluses that's right these, these hands are these hands are meant to transform bread and into body and wine these into blood soft delicate hands <laughs> that's right all right well uh speaking of churchy things we should get to these passages so our friends neighbors and fellow preachers can can get something out of it hopefully maybe preach a little bit 
on this Sunday. This is going to be for Sunday, July 30th, the ninth Sunday after Pentecost, um, deep in the heart of summer. We are continuing in track two, which means we're not doing the Genesis reading. We're doing First Kings, visiting Solomon. Which is a good one. It is a good one. First Kings chapter yes. 3, verses 5 through 12, visiting with St. Paul as we continue to step through the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. A lot of memory verses in there. Mm. And then Matthew 13, verses 31 through 33. Then skipping mean Jesus... Uh, <laughs> and picking back up with verses 44 through 52. Uh, um, he's not mean. He just, anyways. Uh, all right. So, Jake, Solomon, there he is. Yeah, in all what his happens? glory. Yeah, in all his glory. How do you picture him? Well, you know, I mean, I don't know. I always think of Solomon and I think of, you know, something Rastafari. But uh, um, mm. no, but what, uh, so so David has just uh, died and um, and uh, his son uh, Solomon, the uh, love child between uh, David and Uriah the Hittite has become uh, the king well, of Israel. Well, Bathsheba, uh, That's Uriah, what I meant. That'd be um, weird. Yeah, that'd have been weird. And so, well, maybe not in our day. But anyway, yeah. Bathsheba. Uh, the love child of uh, David and Bathsheba has uh, assumed the throne. Now, he's done something interesting, which would make all of the readers kind of wonder uh, what's up right at the beginning. And what has he done, Aaron, at the couple of chapters earlier that would make us call into question kind of everything even going on here? Well, yeah. So even a few verses before, he just married the daughter of Pharaoh. And if you go back to Deuteronomy, there was always kind of this uh caution around Egypt. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, gosh, they enslaved the Hebrew people and just a difficult historical relationship between these two powers that exists to this day, actually. But uh, there was a warning, kind of Egypt was kind of s- metaphorically and sometimes literally was a symbol of temptation for the people of, right. of Israel, um, you know, after the Exodus wanting to go back to Egypt and all that. So to intermarry with the daughter of Pharaoh as a political alliance, which is what Solomon has done, already indicates that there is some, um, at least in, in sort of the, the, the context of the Old Testament, in, in this narrative, there's already a little rot from within the kingdom. Mm. And that will continue to uh, just show more and more as it, as it metastasizes throughout Israel, and beginning with Solomon and who ends his life in complete apostasy. But yeah. Uh, so just know that this passage, like Solomon, like all the great heroes of the Bible, is not a hero. Yeah, he's a this is a justified and, and a, this is a saint and a sinner. Yeah, and you so, can see it because he does something really wonderful in this passage, but it doesn't mean he's some perfect. You know, always be careful about holding up. People. Mm-hmm. Like if you preach this and you're like, isn't be Solomon, like Solomon amazing? So yeah. yeah, it's like, well, be like Solomon. Not so much because if you read a few mm-hmm. verses early, I mean, Solomon is not not an exemplar there's there's one example in scripture and that is jesus christ so um so that's happened before mm-hmm. and the, the other thing to note is that the passage begins at gibeon the lord appeared to solomon and gibeon is you know you may think why is solomon and gibeon well their temple hadn't been built there were altars all over israel at this time because there was no centralized uh, place for worship yes the ark of the covenant was in jerusalem and if you wanted the, you know that was there but the temple was not yet built um and there was sort of hodgepodge DIY Yahweh worship throughout Israel and also kind of implies that maybe there was some worship of other deities yeah, as well. that's right. So Solomon the high has gone, places. Yeah, so Solomon has gone to this high place at Gibeon to offer some huge sacrifice, and this is where God appears to him. And there is something there that if you want to unpack that, to say that God, in his mercy, 
comes to human beings um, already in a forgiving attitude because uh, he knows Solomon has married this Egyptian uh, princess. He knows that Solomon is worshiping in a place that might be connected to some illicit worship practices. Um, and yet God still comes graciously to Solomon to, to and invites him to ask him something. It, I mean, isn't that, yeah. it's just ask, amazing. He even, yeah, it's a, that's oh, beautiful. Some grace there. Yeah. God totally says, ask what I shall give you. What do you want? And uh, yeah, what do you want? And this is, I think kind of the offer that most people dream about. I have a 13 year old son and we oftentimes talk about, well, he always brings it up that if he, um, uh, found a genie, you know what I mean? What would be the three wishes that he would ask for and all mm. of that? And uh, he always says, you know, but if you couldn't, I, one time I said, well, what if you couldn't ask for more wishes? Mm. And he was like, well, that's good. I would ask for more genies. And so, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I do think a question like that, it reveals the heart. And in this moment, you see uh, what makes Solomon uh, righteous. And that is not what he's doing, uh, but rather uh, there is uh there is something of faith there. There's something that really trusts and believes God in the midst of it all. And so you see in Solomon, like I said, a saint and a sinner. But this kind of offer is the kind of offer we only would dream about. What's that funny meme floating around Instagram right now with the farmer and the giant rooster? He's got a giant rooster, and it says, at that moment, Tim realized he wasted one of his wishes. So, but, uh, um, <laughs> but uh, you know... Um, but uh, basically what's being revealed here is, is who he is, and who he is is a saint and a sinner. And, uh, and if you preach Solomon, you're right. You cannot preach and say, be like Solomon. This is one of those kind of sermons, be like Solomon. Those are seeds for atheism eventually, because is it be like Solomon here or be like Solomon when he once again is, you know, adding to his harem? And, uh, you know, what is going on? Because this dude has truly got issues. And so, but you have to point to uh, David's, uh, Solomon's also greater son, David's greater son, who also says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Uh, from Matthew 7 and Luke eleven nine, 9. And uh, it is in those passages where our hearts are opened up. And that question by the power of the Holy Spirit has the power to turn our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh and say, I trust you, Jesus, uh, not just with certain things, but with my entire life and that you will see me through this age and into the age that is to come. And so that's how you got to preach that particular text. Yeah, and it's interesting because in this passage, Solomon, in this prayer to God, talks about how God has been so wonderful to his father, yeah. David, and he calls David... Um, the person who walked before God in faithfulness, in righteousness, and uprightness of heart. This is how Solomon describes his own dad. But Solomon, absolutely, as you have said, knowing his own parentage, knowing that he is the son of David, faithful, upright, righteous <laughs> David, and Bathsheba, like Solomon knows that his father is a mixed bag. He himself is a mixed bag. So I think there's, you, you always think scripture, you want to look at two things. What does it reveal about human beings and what does it reveal about mm. God? And what this passage clearly shows, it reveals human beings are um, uh, a, a mixed bag. A mixed bag. There's a lot <laughs> of stuff in there. And, to, and, and, but God is gracious. God is yeah. the one who comes to Solomon and to David and does through them things which they don't deserve. And here he gives this great gift of wisdom to Solomon. Right after this comes the famous splitting of the baby in half story, which is, you know, it's an interesting story. But um, uh, God gives Solomon wisdom 
God gave David lots of things, even though David was a mixed bag. And so, of course, you, you, what, what this reveals about God is God's gracious character coming to people, not who've cleaned up their lives, but coming to people who, you know, are uh, black, white, and a lot of gray in there, too. And God comes graciously and and tries to help and tries to intervene, ultimately, though, to, to bring about the mm-hmm. um, advent of Jesus Christ. Because uh, if it's just... Uh, if it's just... Without him, I mean, we're all sort of toast. People like Solomon and you mm-hmm. and me. Good. So, well, then we come to Romans eight twenty six, um, uh, Romans eight twenty six to thirty nine, and uh, and uh, Paul uh, is beginning to talk to us about uh, well uh, about the Spirit and what the Spirit does for us, and um, basically he is. Uh, you got to go back just slightly if you got to provide a little bit of context in this uh, particular passage and the. Uh, 20, 24 and 25, Paul is talking about hope and hope in the midst of things that we cannot see and while all of creation is groaning. So he says, for in this hope we were saved. Now that now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what is seen, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so this whole particular section of uh, the the book of Romans, our reading here today, 26 to 39, is really about how is that hope actually possible? How mm. is that hope possible? And it is not, hope isn't possible by me pulling myself up at my bootstraps and gritting my teeth and trying a little harder. You know, uh, hope comes about by the Spirit. Yep, it absolutely does. And, and this is a beautiful passage that talks about how Christians can live in the light of difficulty and suffering and it acknowledges our weakness mm-hmm. um we don't even know how to pray i think the thematic links between this romans passage and the first kings passage are both paul and solomon indicate this uh humility about human power uh and you know solomon says i'm like even though he's king and he is wise and has a lot of you know fancy pedigree and achievements, he does say, I'm like a child. I don't, I don't know how to get up and walk around and go out and come in. I, I, I need help. And here Paul is affirming that same kind of view, that right perspective of human ability. Um, I, we don't even know how to pray. And God needs to do these things in us. And so um, this is, a, this is a, just kind of the thread that, that runs through these passages. And I think one of the beautiful uh, things here as well is if if that is true, if human beings are weak and conflicted and neurotic and we don't even know how to pray and we don't pray very well, even when we do, um, that the promise Paul gives here is that, this, you know, one of these great memory verses, all things work together for good for those who love God according to God's purpose. Because And this is not a promise. This is not prosperity gospel. This is not, you know... You'll be able to pay your mortgage off in record time and your new business venture will succeed and your children will all turn out perfectly. Um, because good is a term, we don't always know what's good. But what um, what we do know from this passage is that God will take care of us. And this is what Paul really wants to underline and circle and highlight uh, and, and um, put a gold star next to is that God is the one who's doing the work in us and he will work all things out because he knew you before you were born. He's working in your life right now. He's called you. Um, he's gonna. He's he's got your whole you know your whole life in his hands. And this is what Paul's trying to remind people who are going through a difficult time, who are struggling. Yeah, I mean it's a you know, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I've just uh, been going through something and, uh, you know, and maybe you know people who are going through something, but sometimes the, the only prayer that you have is just kind of like, uh, you know, in Jesus' name. And so that's like <laughs> yeah. basically, you know, and, uh, but imagine uh, the Spirit interceding for you with groanings too deep for words. Mm. I mean, in that, that idea of too deep for words in the Greek, it's this idea of an emotion that just like comes out of you. Um, I remember... I remember uh, my friend, um, his daughter was dying for a long time, and all he could say was, he didn't even know what to say, but all he could pray was like, please, Jesus, please, Jesus, and that was it. And uh, this is what the Spirit is doing for you nonstop. And that's amazing. Uh, Mm -hmm. What's being articulated here is uh, God's radical, radical commitment to you. Um, The great theologian J.I. Packer, um, may God... What did he say? Rest his soul. Uh, He once said, God corrects your prayers on the way up. And so, uh, you know, we don't need to know how to pray or what to pray for. We just pray. And it's in our groanings and that the spirit himself intercedes for us. And uh, and that's that's a great freedom, you know, to know that God is actually praying for you for you. And uh, and, you know, and so this is while you may stammer about in your weakness, what this particular passage is encouraging, and it's not some sort of demand to make you righteous before God, but in your weakness, the deepest longings of your heart, whatever they may be, um, are being poured into the Father's ear by the Spirit. So in your suffering, um, you can pray boldly and with confidence. And this is why Paul says in this particular passage that God works out all things for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And, you know, when you, this, this gets pitched all the time as some sort of naive sentimentality. Like, oh, everything's going to be okay. Don't worry about that divorce. Don't worry about addiction. Everything's going to be okay. Uh, you know, that is not what we're... Don't worry about your daughter who's got cancer. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is that God is working together in light of Christ's resurrection. We know that redemption is ultimately coming so that these things cannot uh, ultimately define you. And as J.R. Tolkien says, everything sad will soon in the age to come become untrue. And so I think that's really the heart of this particular passage. Yeah, and and just uh, to note that... um people are suffering and this offers real help and to note that that suffering is par for the course paul here quotes psalm i think 44 for your sake we are being killed all day long we are counted as sheep to be slaughtered like that is how life feels a lot of the time and it's um really rough uh and paul doesn't say that you know we pretend that those things aren't true Mm -hmm. or or no paul says those are true and Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ yeah. Jesus, our Lord, in the midst of those trials, in the midst of that suffering. Uh, so I think, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. I just want to, I mean, when you were going through the fire, and and I'm talking about real stuff here, and this is where, you know, I mean, like, was that funny uh, Onion article or uh, maybe Babylon, Joel, Joel Olstein shocked the first time he actually read the Bible, but uh, yeah. Know, Believing this stuff is easier said than done. And when you face real tribulation, distress, persecution, I mean, this is Paul is talking about some serious stuff. But the hope here is that as baptized children of God, um, your suffering will be vindicated and it's going to have meaning and that the hardship of our lives won't simply be erased 
uh, but will all become a tapestry of good and that mm. there's a purpose and meaning in what we are suffering right now. It brings meaning to the suffering right now. And so because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I mean, this is just, this is good stuff that will see you through the night. You know, when you're dealing with fear, when you're dealing with guilt, when you're dealing with shame, you can trust that you have a God who is right there in the midst of it and is giving whatever is going on in your life, even though you can't see it, meaning right now. Yep. And I want to say a little, just a, a little technical note on how this passage is read. If you're, if you have a lector who's reading this passage, um, the I always, because uh, this this passage, Jake, as you know, is read a lot in funerals, and um, it's <laughs> often read. I think, not incorrectly, but in a way that is confusing because of the way Paul writes it, sort of a stream of consciousness writing here. So there's this part here um, where uh, Paul asks a rhetorical question, who is to condemn in yeah. verse 34? So if you're just reading along, um, it might, and you, this is the way I would say is like the not good way to read it. It sounds like this. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus. <laughs> Like, who died, yes, who was raised. So it sounds like Jesus, and people think Jesus is judgmental and condemning, or they think Christians are the churches. So you have, in my opinion, it needs to be read like this. Who will bring any charge in, against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. That's so right. you just got to kind of keep it going. Don't pause after Christ Jesus, because then it sounds like Jesus is condemning you. And in John uh 317, he says, the Son of Man came not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So, that's just my little note. I wish Paul had written well the, the, the grammar is a little, little funky, but all right. Mm. So, uh, make people know that they're loved by God. There's nothing yeah. that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And a lot of people think that there are a lot of things in the list of stuff that separate you from God's love. Um, and they grew up in churches or had experiences where they feel like they're separated from God's love. But Paul yeah. says nothing. So, Help people know that. Uh, yeah. We come to the gospel, which is a um, just, I mean, well, we're we're recording this on the 5th of July, you know, and uh, one of the things that I love about every the end of every firework episode is the constant, like the, the great finale, which is, you know, beautiful uh, firework explosion after explosion after explosion. And this is kind of one of those. It's kind of like a, a firework melody of parables coming right at us. It's the greatest hits. It's just like... The hits keep on coming. Indeed. So, like out of a t-shirt cannon. Well, anything you'd want to say on these parables? I, so, I, like, what you, I like what you did say about um, pick one. Well, yeah, I would say because <laughs> there's um, one, two, three, four, uh, five parables here. There's, and there um, the, is the mustard seed and the um, yeast and both the leaven, so those are both about small things that become big things or have a big impact. Um, then you have the treasure hidden in a field and then the pearl of great value or often called the pearl of great price. Those two together are both about um, how the kingdom of heaven is this small thing that when you find it, it's, it's worth the whole world. Um, but sometimes it's hard to find it. And then the final thing is this net um, which, it, and, and they're, you know, so you have these two pairs and then this final one at the end and which is about 
bringing in all these different fish and then separating the good fish from the bad fish. Um, and, uh, um, which is kind of this judgment, uh, thing. Um, so it's not like there's one idea in all five of them. They're sort of different teachings of Jesus. Each one has their own little wisdom. And I think the link like to kind of the, the stuff earlier in this passage is Solomon asks for wisdom and wisdom comes from God. And here you see Jesus's wisdom, different teachings around wisdom and about how the world works. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so I think if you were to pick one or two of these or something kind of highlight, um, I mean, I think that's the way to go. Cause you don't, you only have so much time to, to, uh, to go through these. So Jake, if you were going to pick some, which would you pick and what would you mm. want to say about them? Gosh, they're all just so good, you know? I mean, uh, but if I was going to do, uh, if I was going to do, uh, like one, I would, uh, probably, um, I would probably do the kingdom of heaven is like, uh, um, like, uh, I don't know. I'm feel so pressured. Um, I would do the kingdom <laughs> Wait, of heaven is the right one. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I'll rescue you if you want, but I, uh, I go for it. Do it. And I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, yeah, go for it. I, I mean, I think, um, the idea that the kingdom of heaven is a small thing, mm. an insignificant thing, a mustard seed. It's not like a giant avocado pit, uh, um, it's, um, this is the counterintuitive nature of the gospel. Um, and I think there is actually kind of a link between the, the, the mustard seed and the yeast and then the treasure and the, yeah. and the pearl of great price in that, um, all those things are, um, not obvious. And, um, if you were, you would think if somebody began a sentence to saying the kingdom of heaven is like blank, you'd probably fill it in with like, the kingdom of heaven is like winning the Super Bowl or the kingdom of heaven is like, I don't know, some big, fancy, glorious, shiny thing. And he says, uh, mustard seed, which is small yeast, which is invisible, um, uh, a treasure hidden in a field. So you can't even see it. Um, and a pearl, yeah, valuable pearl, but the pearl is still a small thing. So in all these things, it's like, it's like stuff that's hard to find stuff that's small. Um, and, and I find the way God works in your life is not in the big flashy things, not the parades and not the pyrotechnics and not the big fancy things, but often in the really hard to find things and the small things, little things. Um, Richard Rohr says, uh, God comes to you disguised as your everyday life. And I think there's, there's something to that here. So I think that's what I would talk about how God, again, as I said before, the scripture always shows us something about ourselves and something about God or one or the other here. I think it shows us something about how God works in our lives. God works in the small unseen, seemingly what we think insignificant parts of our lives. Um, And I think you can talk about that and and say, look, Jesus is the same. Jesus is a peasant. Jesus is overlooked. Jesus dies. Jesus is a failure. And this is the one who comes to us and and gives us all things. I think you're absolutely right. Those, those, those first set of parables, like the yeast, the seed, and the treasure, they're all linked together. And uh, they um, all illustrate who Jesus is in the world. And so, and then, so if you were going to go to the next one, uh, you know, you would uh, probably talk about the pearl. Uh, the pearl, you know, uh, so again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. 
And then again, the kingdom of heaven is like the net thrown in the sea and caught fish of every kind. I love these two illustrations because the pearl, the pearl is the world uh, and the pearl is this world as we have it, not as we hoped it would. And after all, um, you know, you, when you think about the planet Earth, although people are saying there might be life on other planets now and the U.S. government knows about it, but um, and so does Dr. Zoll. But this uh, wrote a great <laughs> podcast actually about that very thing. We're so, not alone. Um, uh, but, but, you know, this pearl, this is the earth as we have it, and it's seemingly unique in the cosmos. However, not only is the world the point specifically, but you're the point as well. And if you're preaching this passage, get that across to your congregation for the joy of your salvation, of rescuing you from sin and death. Jesus endured the cross and scorned its shame, and he gave it all up for you and for the world. And so uh, when the Son of God looked upon the world riddled with sin, by grace he saw it as a priceless pearl. He just had to own it. And so he literally cashed in everything to possess it. And this is his seeking love for you. His kingdom is to die because he's the king who's died for you. And then the parable of the dragnet full of fish. I mean, this would have been an image that would have been familiar to absolutely everyone. Um, uh, and that's how people caught fish. They just threw out a net and they dragged everything to shore, catching all sorts of stuff. And the thing about nets, though, as opposed to hooks and bait, I don't know if you've ever gone fishing with hooks and bait, is that nets catch everything. Catches good fish, bad fish, snakes, boots, you know, old tires and cans, whatever it may be. But the parable here shows God's universal love for the whole world. He doesn't simply love individuals in the world. He loves the entire world, including the tires and spare shoes. And he sends his son to save the world, lock, stock, and barrel. The whole kit and entire caboodle. And uh, that is really what is getting across here. And so he finally says, do you get what I'm talking about? And they're like, yeah, totally. Yeah, we <laughs> get it. No What's not to understand? And they're Obvious. like, what, what, what is he talking about? And yeah. so, I mean, it's just kind of, but he says, I love this. Therefore, every scribe who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven, and that's you and I, and every preacher listening to this podcast, getting ready to preach, is like a master of the household who brings out his treasure. This amazing word that we've been given from God. And, dis, um, and illustrates what is new and what is old, law and gospel. Gives mm. it to them, the whole kit and caboodle. The new way is that God comes to you. He's this, this kingdom that's coming to you. And uh, the old way is uh, you're trying to find it, and good luck. So uh, this, is, this is what he's illustrating here, and this is what you are to convey so that um, you might also, to your congregation, reveal their hearts of flesh, the good soil where that seed has been planted. Yeah, and uh, a couple. I don't know, a couple of just kind of grab bag things I want to hit on here. One, if you t preach on this passage, please don't assume that your congregation knows what the phrase "kingdom of heaven" means. Many people think heaven is that place in the sky where you go when you die, or it's in some other dimension. But it's the place. It's the it's the afterlife. That is not what Jesus is talking about here. Kingdom of heaven means the way things work if God is in charge, and that is on earth. Mm -hmm. And so he's talking about what is what is God's action in the world look like? That's the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about where you go when you die. Yeah, so just make sure people know that, that that's really key. Yeah, it's very important. Actually, thanks for bringing that up. The kingdom of heaven no is like an Old Testament, I mean, it's an Old Testament understanding, a Jewish understanding of what 
Israel should have been, you know, God's people in God's place under God's reign. Yes. And uh, this is how it was supposed to work out. And there's only one who's ever been that, and that's Jesus Christ himself. And so when mm -hmm. he speaks specifically of, in, uh, of the kingdom of heaven in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven has come near you. He's speaking of himself. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this, is, uh, this is very, very powerful. So when you read this, don't think about your absolute. This is nothing to do with the afterlife. This is about the here and the now and how God works in your life for you. And I think the other thing I would say is if you preach about the parable of the dragnet, uh, that don't go to a simplistic understanding of who are the evil and who are the righteous, the good fish and the bad fish that get separated. Because many no, times like the, I think that... It's the weed ahead. and the weeds. It's well, like the yeah, weed. I mean, so they, they all, yeah, because he, he just told that parable too. And the, actually the section that is skipped in this is his explanation of that whole parable. So this is kind of almost adding on to that using another agricultural, not agricultural, but sort of a, you know, um, people of the land, we are fishers, farmers, etc. An analogy they would have understood. But he says, um, the evil separated from the righteous. We tend to think of that in like, righteous means good church going, Bible toting, religious people, and evil people are the, you know, uh, I don't know, all those immoral people, however you want to describe it. But notice in Jesus's ministry, the people whom he rebukes are often the religious leaders. Jesus, sometimes evil means people that use religious hypocrisy and oppression to keep people down. And righteous means people who, like the tax collector who goes in the temple and won't even look up to heaven, he says, have mercy on me, a sinner. Mm -hmm. um, righteous in Jesus's eyes often means someone who knows they are a sinner and says, I'm sorry, forgive me, and is then justified because of that. So don't don't fall into simple human moralistic categories about who's evil and who's righteous, and know that um, a a rusty can or old car tire that's caught in the dragnet but says I'm sorry, forgive me, um, that person actually might be quote unquote a good fish in the story. So just mm. just know that. And then the final little thing I would add on this is the little the story about a treasure hidden in a field. Um, and he goes and sells everything he has to buy the field to get the treasure. That is, to me, again, a fascinating story because it seems like if you found a treasure hidden in the field, you might just take the treasure. Like, ooh, I found this treasure. I'll take it out, cover up the hole, and like leave the field. Um, you know, when you find a dollar bill on a sidewalk, you don't buy the whole, well, let's say a $100 bill on a sidewalk. You don't buy the whole sidewalk. You just take the dollar bill for the $100 bill. And yet he's saying you got to you get the whole thing of stuff you maybe don't need with the thing you really need that's contained within it. And I've always thought of this as an interesting potential metaphor for the church. A lot of people don't like the church or churchy stuff. And they, they just want the Jesus piece without the whole rest of it. And I say, well, you know, it's like, uh, isn't it interesting that Jesus himself is willing to be part of this institution that is so conflicted and flawed? And sometimes you actually find uh, God working in and through the flawed people of the church, much like yourself. So mm. I wish we could just, you know, um, be like the person who mm. who takes the um, the center of the cinnamon roll without the, you know, like the best part in the middle without eating all the stuff on the outside. But yeah. actually, we're, we get the whole thing. Um, Jesus, because Jesus is willing to be within this community of broken, flawed people that we call the church, mm. um, and you don't get one without the other. So yeah. those are all my little final closing bits. That's good. I've always saw the kingdom of heaven, the treasure and uh, hidden in the field bit as um, Jesus himself. And so, um, well, that's wrong. I know. It's, uh, I've always seen it as, <laughs> I love it. It's so good. But we can talk about that another time. So, I'm kidding. Uh, You're right, Jake. That's a, that's a beauty. But that's the thing. The beauty of parables, like Jesus uh, tells these stories and he doesn't say, 
and and a couple times he says the meaning is this that yeah. or the other but a lot of times he just is like you know these are stories with layers yeah. but um i think you're right the kingdom of heaven is jesus himself mm. and uh the kingdom of heaven where god is in control should also be the church as in the church is the body of christ christ is the church i mean it's all yeah the same praise the lord together. yeah so good. layers all right well i guess we'll go back to our um uh, our regularly scheduled lives and you will yeah. as well listener we'll see you again next week for another episode of same old song somebody's looking somebody cares somebody wonders what you're doing today you know we crucified him buried him but three days later well the stone got rolled away and yes, thanks for listening to same old song hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life if you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll. You